0: Open our eyes, Lord, that we might see. Open our ears that we might hear. Open our mind and our heart that we might understand, so that we will turn to you and live. I want to begin this morning with a little bit of a story. It's a story that I have heard and read countless times, but it's a story about a town that was located in the Alps. It straddled the banks of what was a beautiful stream of water. Uh, The water was crystal clear. It flowed out of the hills and down into the village that was below. High above the village, there was an old woman who was known as the keeper of the springs. And she had been hired, no one actually knows when, but years and years before she'd always been there. She would walk up and down this spring and she would remove branches and fallen debris from the stream that might pollute the water. Her work was unseen, but the village below always had access to water that was pure and clean as the result of her labor and her work and her faithfulness. But one year, the town council got together and decided that there was maybe a few things they could do with the money that they provided to her. And so they decided that new parks and new roads, and so she was the budget cut of the year. So the old woman left her post, and the spring water, the stream, went unattended. Soon, tree branches and even things that were worse began to find themselves into the water, and the water began to grow muddy at the source, making its way down, and for a time, no one in the village noticed, but soon the water began to look brackish and cloudy. The birds found different places to swim, the water was no longer as crisp to drink. The life of the village that had depended on the stream, the life of the village, whether they recognized it or not, had depended on the keeper. so the council was reconvened, and the old woman was rehired, and soon the water was pure again, an illness was replaced with health and wildlife found their way back home and the village came back to life. Because it turns out that the life of a village depended on the health of the stream. The story in its own way is a parable. In this story, the stream is your soul and with God you the keeper. This is a story, whether we realize it or not upon first telling, is a story about treasures. It's a story about what we treasure and what we don't. Today's gospel reading is also about treasure. Uh, This is Luke's version of what Jesus will say later on in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew's gospel. And if I'm honest, which I hope to be, Uh, I always struggle with these verses for a number of different reasons, and it's my own baggage, but maybe you can relate. Part of my struggle with verses like this is I've heard one too many pastors use these in the context of a giving campaign, of wanting to get the tithes going again or trying to shame us into giving more money. Heard one chuckle, so at least one other person's heard it maybe that way. (laughs) I also don't necessarily love it because oftentimes it's been taught and comes across in a way that's transactional. If you do this, you'll get this. These words of Jesus have also oftentimes been used to shame people for what are ultimately good desires. Been used and wielded to teach us not to reorder our desires, but to kill them, to squander them, to throw water on the fire that God has kindled. And I think it's a reminder of a few weeks ago, I heard an older saint who I respect, not just because he has a wonderful British accent, but he made the observation that oftentimes within the church, the most corrupted version, the most corrupted verses are oftentimes the most important. That those verses that we've taken and run with and corrupted and twisted in our own way are oftentimes some of the most important ones for us to return to. Jesus echoes what he says here in Luke's Gospel in Matthew six, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust consume and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust, I had like, I memorized this for the first time in the King James, so I got like doth in my mind. (laughs) Where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And I bring up the fact that Jesus mentions this in the Sermon on the Mount because I think it helps us in clarity about what Jesus is talking about because throughout the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew's Gospel, the message of the Sermon on the Mount is actually really consistent. It's about the kingdom of God, the place where what God wants to be done is done. And the theme of the Sermon on the Mount is not friends about you getting into heaven it is about heaven getting into you it is not about you getting into heaven it's about you getting heaven into you but you becoming a certain kind of person it's a story both the story of the stream and Jesus' words today about treasures and again Oftentimes I heard treasures as, take out your wallet, show me your bank account and I'll show you what you treasure. And I think that's certainly part of it, how we spend money, time, what we give our attention to, what we don't, certainly can reveal our treasure. But treasures are actually much more broad than simply money. Treasures are things we work to keep and protect because of a value that we placed upon them. It could be material goods, but it also could be immaterial goods like our reputation, our relationships. Every one of us, by nature of being human, have treasures. We were created to have treasures. How we spend and how we do not spend, energy, time, money, attention, all have a way of revealing what our treasures are. And so one of the questions I've been sitting with this week is do I actually know what I treasure? Am I aware of what I treasure? And so I extend that question to you. Are you aware of what you treasure? Even more so, are you aware of the kind of person you're becoming because you treasure those things? See, oftentimes, I think my, no, my understanding is that treasures are neutral. I can treasure whatever I want, whenever I want. And oftentimes forget that treasures in and of themselves are not neutral. They form us what we treasure forms us. Dallas Willard, who formed me deeply in how I read the Sermon on the Mount, in fact, his, his book, that's sort of his magnum opus, The Divine Conspiracy, is essentially him just picking apart the Sermon on the Mount. But he says this, quote, to discuss our treasures is really to discuss our treasuring. We are not to pass it off as dealing merely with external goods which are non-spiritual or just physical stuff. It is to deal with the fundamental structure of our soul. It has to do precisely with whether the life we now live in the physical realm is an eternal kind of life or not and the, the extent to which it will be so, unquote. A big part of what Dallas is getting at is that you and I, and he's picking this up from the words and life of Jesus, you and I are invited to direct our treasures. To aim our treasuring in a certain direction. And to do so intentionally, to re-aim it when we need to, to reorient it toward that which is good and true and beautiful. Which means that we must make choices about where to not aim our treasuring. Which requires practice, discipline, little by little. I think Paul picks up on this theme in Colossians chapter 3 where he uses the analogy of putting on clothes and taking off clothes to talk about virtues and vices. In Colossians 3, he says, and put off, take off these things, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry, anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips, lying to one another, because you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self. In verse 12, he says, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with what? Compassion and kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with one another. Forgive one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. If you've ever been around a child, you know that there's a certain point when they are able to dress themselves. But before that, they need a lot of help and a lot of practice. A lot of coming downstairs, how does this look? You can't go into public like that. And this is the analogy that Paul is using. This slow taking off and putting on, the building up of habits through practices, of becoming the kind of people who more and more, little by little, do what Jesus did. It's a reminder that in our directing, our treasuring, that we all have a spiritual formation. Every single one of us do. Some of them are good and some of them are not. And to ask the question, what are we treasuring, is just another way of asking, who is it that we're becoming? And do we like who we're becoming? Now, here is the final thing I wanna invite us to sit with this morning. Because I think oftentimes the danger is that this, these words of Jesus stop at simply being about what you and I treasure. Oftentimes we flatten it out, it becomes incredibly one dimensional and it just becomes, well, what are you treasuring? Aim your treasuring at that which is good, that which is in heaven. And while I begin there, here's what I want to end with. I would argue that the reason Jesus calls us to turn our attention to what we treasure, to turn our attention to the stream that is our soul, is because, friends, it is an invitation to turn our attention to that which God cares about most. And not in an anxious way. Most of us are familiar with care showing up in a form of anxiety, of sort of this grasping for control because there's something we deeply care about. And maybe it's not being cared for in the way we think it should be cared for. And so it it sort of prompts these sort of anxious, reactive responses. And oftentimes that's how we frame out God, that if God cares deeply about something, then he shows up with this anxious presence of going, hey, get your life together now and quickly. I can't handle that you're falling apart. That's how I show up. That's maybe how some of you show up. That's not how God shows up. God in the story is aware that the city council will reconvene. He's not worried in the meantime about the water becoming brackish because he knows how the story ends. He's comfortable with slow, long stories. Even when we neglect that which God treasures most, it does not shift in any way God's treasuring of our souls. So I think the invitation for me and for you is to treasure the God who already treasures us. To rest in the God who already rests in us. The great saints and sages of the Christian tradition claim that God does not know how to be absent. Doesn't know how to be absent. In fact, that God is too simple to come and go. There's a simplicity to his eternality. He doesn't actually know how to come and to go. He only knows how to be present. So the town council of our lives can send away the keeper, but they can't send away the one who is the fountain of that stream. It's a reminder that our union with God is not to be acquired, but lived into that union with God is not something we acquire by treasuring God, but is something we live into as we learn little by little more and more to treasure the God who already treasures us, right? We live in a commodity culture and a culture that's transactional. We do this and we get this. So if we seek God, God will seek us. If we treasure God, God will treasure us. If we make ourselves clean enough and presentable enough, God will accept us. But the great wisdom of Jesus, of the women and the men, the saints before us, is that in seeking God, we find that God has already sought us. That in treasuring God, we find that God has already treasured us. This is the psalmist in Psalm 139 Oh Lord, you have searched me and you know me. And again, I've oftentimes heard this as you better be honest with what you've done because God knows. That is is the language and a posture of a different kingdom that Jesus isn't king of. The psalmist goes on, for it was you who formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. And this isn't no in a way that I know that two plus two or you know that two plus two is Four, this is language of intimate knowing that speaks to communion. You search me, you commune me, you form me. This type of union and communion you cannot get rid of any more than you can get rid of your DNA. Ambrose of Milan, who was a fourth century bishop and theologian, was spending time reflecting on the opening pages of Genesis, and one of the questions he was sitting with was he was wondering why God waits till the end of creation to create the human being. And more so, why is it that after creating humans, God takes a break? He rests. And the conclusion he comes to is quite beautiful. Listen to what he writes. Surely. Quote, surely it is time now to make our contribution of silence. For now God rests from his work in making the world. God has found repose in the deep recesses of humanity, in humanity's mind and in humanity's vocation. God finds comfort in these traits as his own testimony declares, in whom shall I find repose in whom shall I find rest, but in the human who is humble and peaceful, unquote. For Ambrose, creation is not something that happened long ago. Creation means an abiding relationship in the present, sustaining us. It's what Jesus speaks of in John 15: that we are the vine, he is the vine, and we are the branches. And reflecting on those questions, the conclusion that Ambrose comes to is that God created a human as a place for God to rest. That in the deep places of our heart, in the innermost being, which St. Paul speaks of in Ephesians chapter three, the implication is that that deep place of our own hearts, the center, friends, of your being is the rest of God. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, it's why Augustine of Hippo will say, you, God, are more intimate to me than I am with myself. Why later in the confessions, Augustine will lament the fact that he had spent a good majority of his life seeking and looking for God everywhere, but inside of himself. And he says, it was upon returning home to myself that I find the God who had already made his home in me. Learning to treasure God is about learning little by little to enter into that rest which rests in us. Friends, that is the gospel. This is what is unveiled in Jesus. And this is what we are invited to give our amen to. For that one moment in and out of time, on that one mountain where all moments meet, the daily veil that covers the sublime in darkling glass felt dazzled at his feet. There were no angels full of eyes and wings, just living glory full of truth and grace. The love that dances at the heart of things shone out upon us from a human face. And to that light, the light in us leapt up. We felt it quicken somewhere deep within. A sudden blaze of long extinguished hope trembled and tingled through the tender skin. Nor can this blackened sky, this darkened scar, eclipse the glimpse of how things truly are. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.